Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere and every day. We believe this will require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified and actually working together as one church, collaborating around five key initiatives in their own city or region. And those initiatives are what the Apostle Paul lays out in Acts 13 and 14 as he traces the journey of Paul. Uh, We see citywide prayer, we see leader health, where he goes back and strengthens the churches and makes sure that they're really healthy. Uh, disciple-making strategies where they're working together to preach the gospel and make many disciples in the city. Uh, They serve the city looking for what's needed and do what's best to bring the kingdom expression there and then starting new churches or new kingdom initiatives. And so right now we're spending time on the the value or initiative of leader health. And more specifically, we get to interact with Chuck DeGrout. Now, Chuck has been an influence in my life. And Chuck, do I say that? Did I say that right? Is it DeGrout or DeGroat? DeGroat. 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 There we go. Okay. Chuck has been an influence in my life from afar, but um, he and I have both been wanting to connect. And this podcast gave us the opportunity to do that. Uh, Chuck is a professor of counseling and Christian spirituality, as well as the uh, and the executive director of clinical mental health counseling program at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan. That's quite a mouthful. Uh, you have to tell me more about that. He's also the faculty member for the Soul Care Institute. Uh, Chuck is a licensed therapist. He's a spiritual director. Uh, he specializes, and this is, I think, important, at least it has been for me in my own journey, specializes in the issues of abuse and trauma uh, in pastoral and leadership health and navigating issues of doubt and dark nights in faith, in people's faith journey, which is, so you know, that's a journey I went through a few years ago myself, and Chuck's works were very, very helpful for me. He also trains pastors in the issues of abuse and trauma. He conducts pastor and planter assessments, he facilitates church consultations and investigations of abuse among pastors and within congregations. And I, I wish I didn't have to read that last part because it's an in indication or maybe an indictment of the present state of the church, which is why this value of leader health is so important because we are experiencing what I would say is an epidemic in the church around leader health and the abuse or trauma that that has created. Uh, so first of all, Chuck, I'm really thankful for the way you've stepped into this space and continue to contribute such helpful material. Uh, and I want to say thank you so much for being here. Um, you are a gift and a real significant help to the church. So thank you. And also, would you like to share any more about yourself, your passion, how you got into the work you're doing? <laughs> After hearing that, I want to say I I, uh, I need to take a nap, but... Um, I was tired reading it. <laughs> I, it might be helpful for people to hear that I was a pastor in Orlando and in San Francisco. And so, uh, and I often say I'm a conflicted seminary professor because in, uh, particularly in this this moment that we're in, I, uh, I like so many are, are wondering how do we form pastors and planters uh, for the work, you know? And I think seminaries themselves are asking pretty big questions around that too. But, uh, but no, I'm like, we talked about beforehand. I'm so glad to be with you. I think we, we both wanted to get to know one another. And, uh, I, I've been grateful for the journey that you've gone on and the fruit that it's bearing through saturate and other, other spaces and places. So yeah, happy to chat. Yeah. Well, like I said, you've been really helpful to me from afar. And um, it's interesting. I don't know if, I don't think I shared this with you. I grew up in Michigan, so I'm not, I, I go back to Muskegon, uh, Spring Lake area almost once a year. And so you're not too far from there <laughs> in terms of being well, in we Holland. We definitely need to connect when you're back here. We need to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Chuck, when you when you look at the present situation, um, that we see in the church and we see, I think just in any space, leadership spaces, it doesn't, it's not just in the church, it's in business, it's in all kinds of contexts. What would you say are some of the present challenges that we are facing regarding spiritual and emotional health? Uh, 
I, we, we could probably spend the bulk of our time on that question. And there are different uh, directions we could, we could take that in. Uh, it's interesting because I, I often, uh, in the work that I'm doing now in the seminary, often introduce students to Gregory the Great's The Pastoral Rule, you know, that early, early church text on pastoral life where Pope Gregory, you know, Pope Gregory, who, by the way, was formed in the desert, in silence mm. and solitude, not not with as, as many words as we're formed with today in seminaries, right? Yeah. Um, theological training, but in in uh, silence, solitude, and prayer, be, became a reluctant leader within the church. And uh, this represents sort of the core of his wisdom. And four out of the five chapters in that are on the life of the pastor. Mm. Uh, uh, there's the one chapter that presents case studies for pastoral care, um, and, and, you know, oftentimes in, in the work that I do, people will re- reflect on it and say, well, this is kind of a new thread, right? This more therapeutic thread. And I want to say that, uh, this moment that we're in this moment of, of reckoning that I know, uh, you know, of, I know of in the work that we do, uh, in the midst of, of some of the big, big stories that have been talked about and podcasted about, right. In this moment of reckoning, uh, I do think we have a re- opportunity to kind of rediscover uh, the wisdom of the ancient tradition, um, mm. uh, the wisdom of Gregory, the, the wisdom of uh, St. Augustine, right, who, uh, the first autobiographer, by the way, uh, in, in history, right, who tells his own story in nine chapters, and then in this climactic chapter 10 of the confession says, Noverum me, Noverum te, let me know myself, let me know you, O Lord. Mm. Um, I, I do think that we're, we're in this moment right now where we are uh, being uh, faced with, uh, well, as, as you called it, the challenges of, of spiritual and emotional health. And, and one of the things that uh, I'm aware of right now is that we're still in the crisis moment of it. You know, like I think when you look back uh, 200 years from now, you'll probably look at 2010 to maybe 2040. I don't know, you know, as this moment of, of change reckoning, this liminal moment already mm-hmm. 50 years ago, Leslie Newbegin was saying that the West was in trouble and that we, we need to send missionaries to the West. Right. Yes, that's right. Yep. Well, and so, uh, Newbegin had identified a, a missional crisis, uh, even about 50 years ago. And so I think in moments like this, we're, we find ourselves anxious and we're, we're fairly, um, motivated to figure out what to do, right? And that's a kind of human propensity. Um, and and I would prefer to say uh, it's going to be important for us to maybe step back and together in that unified way that you were just talking about, may, maybe assess the landscape, the challenges that we're facing, like instead of rushing for the next great solution, you know, which is is going to be man, man-made anyway, right? Um Maybe with some curiosity and humility, ask God, what do we what do we learn in the midst of this? What have we gotten wrong? What have we missed? You know, I, that's that's why I said I'm a conflicted seminary prof because I've I've got big questions. You know, I maybe you you and I are probably around the same age, but I, I mean, at 25 when I was memorizing the Westminster Confession, I was in seminary. I really thought I knew the answers, and now at 53, I have far more questions than I've ever had. And so it's a season of humility. It's a season of curiosity. It's a season for us to, to come together and, 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 and and pray together, confess together, lament together before God, um, particularly around issues of our own arrogance and pride, uh, building the, the kinds of institutions and structures and churches, um, that maybe we're born out of our own arrogance, you know, and Mm -hmm. egocentricity, I, I'm mindful that uh, God makes beautiful things out of broken things, uh, resurrection out of death, right? And so I'm I'm very very confident that Jesus is Lord, and um, uh, new things will be made out of out of the the rubble. But I do think that this is a time of some pretty significant assessment that requires humility and curiosity. Mm. Wow, you and I are around the same age. I'm 54, so we. Okay. Yeah. I, I would. I would agree with what you just said in terms of like, I feel like I thought I knew so much when I was in my late twenties and early thirties. And now I'm not so certain about a lot of things and open to a lot of learning still. So 
yeah. actually makes me scared to write books, frankly. I mean, anytime I write, I'm like, I hate this on one hand because it's like I'm putting down ideas and paper that doesn't get to be changed. Yes. And I still know I don't know a lot of things. And so I live in that. I'm more like a reluctant author that way because uh -huh. I don't really like to state things definitively when I still am in my own journey of learning. So. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's really important. I, I So in light of that, because I, I, I think you're right. And it, it seems like we... We have the past to look back on, but we're in a present moment that we've never been in, in terms of the, you know, when, when have we ever had church like it is, media like it is, uh, platforms yeah. like they are. I mean, all those things that have sadly, and my, at least my perspective, sadly not helped us a lot in this particular area. Um, we are in, in that sense in a new space uh, that we'll have to look back on, I'm sure. We, you and I won't be alive to do it, but uh, <laughs> we're trying to navigate our best through it. In light of that, like, then what do we most, what do leaders need in terms of this present moment? What would be helpful for their own journey towards wholeness? Yeah. Even though we're still learning a lot, what, what do we know that could be helpful? Yeah, I think a lot of us are slowing down right now and asking questions. I, I just met with some pastors from uh, down in Indiana, a large church yesterday, spent the morning with them. Um, and uh, they're just confused and anxious, right? And we, we sat in that to some degree. And, and, and as we were talking about uh, some of the issues they faced uh, uh, within their church and within their networks, in terms of church planting, some of the things that they've seen, that you've seen, that I've seen, uh, where, where church is blown up, particularly with younger pastors who are eager to get going. I think, again, we could go in a number of different directions, uh, but I guess the thread that I might pull on here is that I've been very eager to, to engage conversations around emotional and spiritual health. And as I like to frame it sometimes, the character of the pastor I think uh, by and large in, in many of these networks, and I was involved in church planting and training for, for a while. I've done myriads of assessments, right? But, but oftentimes uh, the bulk of the work that we've done has been around uh, theological education and, and skill uh, mm -hmm. and not as much in the area of character development um, and emotional intelligence, frankly, you know, and when I, when I talk about character, I'm, I'm talking about the, the basics of developing um, a people of humility, of, of gratitude, of resilience, of wisdom, of integrity, right? Like mm -hmm. these kinds of things that, you know, here you and I are talking in our early fifties about how we're, we're just beginning to maybe scrape the surface of, of some of these things and maybe know what we don't know at this point. Right. And so, I think emotional intelligence is another resource, a more contemporary resource where, where um, in a sense, what Daniel Goleman's research uh, in emotional intelligence has revealed to us are really categories that are, are um, ancient categories, self-awareness, empathy, personal responsibility, social awareness, you know, things like this that in, in my own uh, work and training with pastors I'm really emphasizing, right, alongside of those other things. I, I want people to study theology. I want people to develop the skills they need to develop, right? I, um, those are all very important, so we don't want to exclude those. And I, I think that's what you, you hold the tension of that really well in your work. But my sense, and I, I'd be curious to, to hear your thoughts on this too, is that some of the things that I just talk about can't be microwaved. It's yeah. not like come and do a six-week seminar on character, right? Um, this takes a deep knowing and being known. This takes elders in your lives willing to speak truth. This takes looking at your own life, looking at your own story. And and real quick, I'll say this about uh, about this formational process that I'm talking about. Dallas Willard, late in his life, uh, maybe you know this already, had significant questions about whether or not people really change. Here's, here's a person who talked about formation, spiritual disciplines for, for the whole of his life and ministry, right? And in his very last years, asked this big question, do people really change? And he became convinced in and through his, uh, some deep intersections with psychology and neurobiology that our early childhood stories of attachment matter 
that our early formational patterns show up later in life in relational patterns. And, and he said, if I, uh, if I were to live longer, I would have done some writing on that. Jim Wilder's picked up the baton on that front. But I do think that those kinds of conversations that those of us who are therapists are, are having are, are really important too. How are you formed? And how are those particular patterns of formation showing up in relational styles? And how might guys like you and I who are maybe a little bit older and have been around the block a few times, how can we speak into the lives of young pastors and say, here's, here's what we see showing up. You've got this wealth of gifts. And yet, here's some things that I want to bring to your attention that we need to be mindful of in terms of your you know, uh, how you rub people the wrong way here, how you show up with a bit of um, ego or arrogance there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've uh, been deeply influenced by Jim Wilder's works as as well as, of course, Willard, for sure, and really appreciated the humility to say that, you know, that while at the end of all this incredible work that Dallas has created, to say there's still something missing here and that attachment piece which, you know, Jesus says very, in other ways, abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Fathers, I'm in you and you are me. May they be in us. Uh, Paul says, have the same mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's like, it's all attachment in different language, uh, you know, biblical language. And so if you didn't learn to have healthy attachment as a child, uh, which is my story, uh, then then you end up... Um, having, at least for me, a lot of knowledge and a lot of pragmatism and ability to accomplish lots. But Jesus said the goal of our instruction is love. Mm, (laughs) So, I mean, if I fail to love myself included, because I'm going to love neighbor as myself, then I'm not going to be able to bring about the, I think really what is the character of Christ, which Willard did a great job of saying like, really, Maturity is measured in your spontaneous response in how you love your enemies, how you spontaneously love your enemies. I thought, wow, right. that's a quite a statement in the last several years. Like, oh. <laughs> and what a, I mean, if I sit with that, I'm sure you say the same thing. I, I've got a lot to do. You know, I've got a lot of work to do on my own heart. Right? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so helpful. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, your tradition, you're, you're, in Dutch Reformed context, I mean, That's I right. grew up in that myself. The first, you know, I went to Calvin College. I worked, first job was in a Christian Reformed church, very influenced by, by you know, the Reformers, and, and in particular, someone like John Calvin as well, who wasn't, certainly wasn't perfect, as we know. But, you know, he himself talked about, and you said this with Augustine, but he himself said, like, the whole whole of it is that we have to, we can't know God apart from knowing self. We can't know self apart from knowing God. And I, this is Jeff's way of saying it. There, it's not as it's not as linear as like what comes first. It's like both. Yeah, they both happen. And so, as you think about that in terms of like some of the the need for people to do some of that self awareness work, what are what are some of the ways in which you're you're helping them do that? Like, what are some practical steps that you've helped them take. I've got some ideas about it as well, but I really want to hear, I mean, you sit in this a lot and you're having these conversations with church leaders. What are some of the things you're counseling them toward? Yeah, well, what you just said is really important to me um, that we're we're anchored in that deep Augustinian reality that uh, as, as we know ourselves, we know God, as we know God, we know ourselves. Um, Augustine mm-hmm. modeled that. I, I think along with that, a, a second big piece from Augustine that informs what I do is is Augustine's words, God is more near to me than I am to myself, um, that I've gone away from myself. Um, mm. And interestingly, his call to return to yourself, which kind of sounds like something that like Oprah or Dr. Phil would say, but it's actually from Augustine. And what does he mean by that? What he means is that we've, we've uh, gotten too far from ourselves. We've become alienated from ourselves, our deepest selves, in Christ, right? And that we've we've tried to find life. I mean, this is echoed in C.S. Lewis's work, right? And in our our work, in our our our, our faux securities in life, our faux sense of belonging, our performance, our approval, all the different things that all of us can relate to. 
And so Augustine's reminder is to come home to ourselves. And, and his, his model is a work of deep excavation in his own heart, right? I mean, mm. The storytelling that he does in the first nine chapters is his way of, of uh, recalling his life. Of, uh, the, the language is recollection, like literally recollecting himself, right? Um, as a path to wholeness and, and holiness in Christ. That's that's the work I end up doing. It's an ancient work, I think, with the the resources of um, a kind of trauma informed psychology. Uh, that's the work that I I do w- with people. But but I, what I love about it is the sense of coming home to ourselves in Christ. Like the the sense that um, I grew up with this this idea that God is way 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 up there. And me and my sinful self is down here. Never the two shall meet. You know, so this, it was very radical to learn that Augustine believed that God uh, dwells in us, that God is more near to me than I am to myself, that it's me who, I've gone away, you know? Mm -hmm. And I find that pastors, pastors in particular find that to be very revolutionary because when I see that, I'm sure in your own work, you see the same thing. They're normally exhausted, alienated from themselves, fragmented, they're, you know, they've left themselves in all different kinds of hard conversations and um, big blowups and significant failures and disappointments in their, their life and marriage and uh, in their own integrity. And, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like they're lost, right? And, um, and I, I think it's so beautiful to be able to say, well, God is within you whispering to you, but I'm here. I haven't gone away. Just come home. I love you. I see you. Have compassion on you. I know you and I are going to get to it, but I think this is where those questions in Genesis chapter three invite yes. us full way of understanding God's um, uh, immense mercy and compassion toward us in the midst of our failures, struggles, foibles, etc. Yeah. Oh, even what you said there, I just love the pastoral heart there, the nurture that came through your answer, and the uh, I. This may be just true of me. I don't think it is just true of me, but um, I I had been so hard on myself for so long. Yeah. And because I was so hard on myself, I believed God was as well. Mm-hmm. And the two were connected clearly. You know, if we're image bearers of God, then our view of God is connected also to view of self. And yeah. And so the idea that God was there with me telling me he loved me. And man, I preach this like crazy, yeah. but there's a difference between preaching it and being at home with it in your own soul. And yeah, that's right. So I good. Think, you know, at some level, particularly for those of us who battle such deep guilt and shame, you know, that we feel like, oh, how could God ever come near to me, abide with me? Or, and, you know, and, and, and then, you know, of course, we, we prop up Augustine as the father of original sin. And of course, and when people hear that, they're like, of course, Augustine didn't say, are you kidding? But I think it's, it's um, this is where you pair beautiful theology along with the deep psychological work, that journey that we need to go on. And I mean, it's, mm. this is patterned in the ancient tradition. This is why, this is why a leader like Gregory the Great was such a reluctant Pope uh, leader in the early church, you know, because um, he loved silence, he loved so- solitude, he loved intimacy, experiential intimacy, union and communion with God. And and I think probably what you're seeing and I'm seeing are men and, and women in leadership at times too who are exhausted, who have not, who, I, I mean, in this last week alone, I, I've been away for a few weeks vacation. I had to go down to Florida after my mom passed. And I sort of, I reentered this week and I've, mm. I've been, I've probably had 10 to 15 different phone calls for spiritual direction, uh, Zoom calls for counseling. Probably half of them feature some sort of sense of, but I just don't feel like God is near. Mm. And uh, these are people who are preaching week in and week out, right? And, and that's a, that to me is a part of this crisis, right? Where they were formed with a lot of, as I was, I still have the Westminster memorized, the shorter category. I mean, I was formed in, with all the categories, all the right things, all the skills, how to lead a meeting, how to, you know, and, um, and one day I woke up and I was like, but, but I, I, I'm not here. <laughs> you know, like I'm doing a lot, but um, I don't know where I am and I don't certainly don't know where God is right now. And so I'm very externalized. Right. And mm-hmm. so, Oh man, 
Yeah, I, I had a similar awakening where, and people had to finally tell me, like, you're a hard person to be a friend with. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that was not easy because I'm like, no, I want to be everyone. I want to be your friend. And it's like, well, the truth was, is because I wasn't present with myself, I couldn't be present with people. Mm. And and they felt lonely with yeah, me. Right. And uh, so you're you're describing some of what led to me hitting a bit of a bottom. Well, not a bit, a bottom. I hit a bottom. And... And to be able to say, okay, where are you, Jeff? And yeah. yeah, the the news, the good news that God is there with you, even if you're not there with you, yeah. is pretty remarkable. Yeah. It's quite yeah. a statement. Yeah, that's right. If I go to the height of the heavens, if I go to the depths yes. of shit, oh, God is, yeah. And what you just said, I couldn't be present to others because I wasn't present to myself, will sound to some like like psychobabble, but Augustine couldn't couldn't have said it better himself. I mean, that that was the journey that Augustine had to go on to recollect himself so that he could live within himself as one in Christ, you know, um, yeah. and he could live as I, I wrote a book called Wholeheartedness. And that was really the point of the book so that we could live wholeheartedly in the world and we could bring our full selves. And, and oftentimes, you know, I, uh, those of us in ministry, I know this was me, um, particularly I was exhausted at 40. Right. But, but, um, but I, but I, I was so externalized at that point, right? And I was, I was running on fumes, and I, and and so, um, and so, this is really the antidote to exhaustion. You know, this is the poet David White uh, tells this story. I won't tell the whole story, but 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 the ultimate line that he offers is the antidote to exhaustion is is not rest; it's wholeheartedness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's back to ourselves. Um, it's not laying on the couch for two hours watching football on a Saturday afternoon. It's going on this journey to come home to mm. the one who's already more near to us than we are to ourselves. So that's what you just said is radical. And I, I really do think it could it change the way we pastor dramatically. We need this wisdom right now. Yes, we do. Yeah, and you saying that, like for me, vacation, if you talk to my family, it was I would go and vacate. <laughs> wow. I mean, literally, yeah. I mean, we would go away and I would be alone, but it wasn't like yeah. solitude and silence and, you know, being yeah. present with myself and God and then being able to be present with my family. It was being absent. It yeah. was running away, being absent because of yeah. the exhaustion of what you just described. And man, I remember the wake up call when I get back from vacation, going like, I'm still tired. I'm still lonely. And I just spent a week with the people that I love the most. So yeah. what's going on? Yeah. Uh, that itself was another wake up call. Like, why am I vacating? Yeah. Yeah. And these are the signs, right? These are, for those who are listening right now, if there's any, I would, I would, I would ask them to sort of trust if there's any inner resonance with what they're hearing right now, any mm-hmm. sense of like, oh, that, that happens to me. You know, I just went on that vacation and I, I thought I was doing the things I was supposed to be doing. I, I used to bring 15 books on vacation with me, right? <laughs> Um, and, and I realized I, I, uh, I, I came home oftentimes from vacations, as you said, more exhausted, vacated. I love that. I've never heard that before and I'm going to steal it. I'll give you credit <laughs> first two times and then fine. But, um, but, uh, I think if, if your listeners are experiencing any resonance, they can use this as a kind of diagnostic to say, okay, so, so maybe, Maybe I'm disconnected from myself right now, alienated from myself, and thus from God. That's that idea of self-knowledge and God-knowledge. And so maybe there's a journey I'm being invited on. Maybe it's not that I'm doing something wrong, that I'm bad, or that God, God's mad at me, or I should be ashamed of myself, or I'm not qualified to be a minister. No, maybe mm-hmm. God's just inviting me on a journey. Maybe I'm weary and I need to name that. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, it is. So let's, I do want to get to the, you have a new work that you're developing and is this a book, a new book that's coming out or is it just a new work you've created, the scene known and loved? Yeah. Well, so that was something that I, I just toyed with a little short video on the three questions of Genesis chapter three, okay. um, that has become a, 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 a book with Tyndale that I submitted a few months ago called what oh. happens within, you know, how publishers are, they may change that title, but right now it's <laughs> titled. Uh, what happens within. And it, it's really a, a look at this whole conversation on trauma and addiction. A lot of people talk about trauma right now. 
a lot of people a little cynical about it, like, oh, everyone's traumatized now, you know. Um, but but what I wanted to do is I, I wanted to take a, a look at those three questions that God asked, and at least, you know, the three questions that I've sort of formulated. And I know you've worked with that too. And I so think funny because have- when I read it, I'm like, we have some overlap here. Keep going. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, but- so it's, it's really, um, you know, for me, I, I'll just, I'll say, uh, and I, what I want to do, I'd love to hear from you kind of what you've developed out here and just see kind of where we, uh, where the, there are some connection points. But where are you, of course, that very first question, which is, as we've been talking about this invitation to show up to our lives, you know, that's a very important question because the reality is, is that for a lot of us, we haven't been very present to ourselves and very present to God. And so where are you is a really crucial diagnostic question. And of course, Adam and Eve were hiding and we hide too in our shame and our anxiety. Um, who told you? Which um, the, in the second part of the book, I get into how we listen to our own lives, how we listen to our own stories. And of course, you know, the, the, the prompt there for Adam and Eve was, who have you been listening to other than me? Whose voice have you been listening to? Whose voice have you trusted? And of course, the idea being that they listened to the serpent who cast some doubts on God's goodness, whether or not Adam and Eve could trust God, whether or not Adam and Eve could trust the image of God in them and themselves, the journey that God had put them on, right? And so, which led to them reaching out and grasping and act, we reenact all the time, right? Yes. And so that second session uh, or section of the book invites this kind of, uh, deep digging, you know, this deep sort of archaeological dig of the soul, you might say. And then I've taken that third question, have you eaten from the tree? And I think this is where you and I go in maybe a little bit of a different direction. And I that's the one that I sat with for a while. And this goes back mm-hmm. to my time pastoring in San Francisco, because I, I led a retreat. What is God getting at there? And um, what I began to hear is, where have you taken your hunger and thirst? Mm-hmm. Um, have you eaten from the tree? Where have you taken your hunger and thirst? And so that becomes the third section on addiction. Th- there's that first question, where have you taken your hunger and thirst, which invites us to, to some real honesty about the places that we've gone that have satisfied us in ways that are ultimately, not ultimately satisfactory, right? But the right. second question that you hear from Jesus over and over and over again, what do you long for? What mm-hmm. Jesus in, is, is inviting us to deeper desire. And again, I'm um, just tapping into a little bit of C.S. Lewis there. God is inviting us to big L longing, big, big D desire. And so that's my direction in a book on trauma and addiction. What is uh, Jeff Vanderstelt's direction with those questions? I'm curious. You know, it's, it's, just, it's interesting because I'm probably what I'm going to end up doing is like making a end note or several end notes in my book and say, okay, you should read Chuck's book on this for a deeper dive. <laughs> well, I'm just going to do the same now. So, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for for me, it's it, it, some of it's um, coming out of my own journey, and it's it's a little bit more around um, uh, feelings in particular. Um, mm. And for me, buying into the idea when I was very young that feelings were bad, yeah. um, and sadly, our our even our our biblical approach to that has said that you can't trust them and. Yeah. And instead saying, no, no, they were given to you by God to be indicators of things that are going on inside of you. And they are making you aware of, of needs. Now, you may be going to the wrong places with them, or they may not even be telling the truth about God. I mean, the Psalms are clear. Like sometimes the psalmist is crying out things that are not true of God, but yeah. still saying it and getting it out. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, that's a way of that answering that question. Where are you? Like, well, my God, my God, why have you forsaken yeah. me? Is his yeah. answer, you know, what he's crying out. Yeah. By the time he gets to the end, he's like, no, no, you, you'll you never, you're there with the afflicted and uh, you're present, you know, but he had to yeah. be honest about, similar to Adam, like, yeah. like, where are you was an opportunity to cry out. I was afraid. And so for me, it's, it's really recognizing that when you were born into this world, you were born with that part of your brain that feels almost fully developed, mm. which is why a baby can make their needs known. And if uh, you have a healthy parent, that parent can attune to that child, care for that child, attach to that child, and that child can grow up in a very healthy environment where they learn that having feelings about things is not a bad thing. And then over time, we develop the rational mind to be able to have more thoughts about those feelings. But as you know, the rational mind doesn't get developed fully in a man until he's mid-20s to maybe late 20s, a woman early 20s. So it's like, 
I tell a little bit of that journey of like being a kid who had to try and make sense out of my own needs, but not be able to attend honestly to the emotions or the feelings I had. So I'm going to be going at that part of it a little bit more to say like, hey, there is a biblical theology of feelings and emotions that we need to re-embrace. And Adam's answer when God says, where are you? Is I was afraid. Yeah. Yeah. It's like emotion. And if he had felt, if he had felt that and been, and realized he could be with himself with his fear and run to God with his fear, he would have responded in an entirely different way, which is some of the question you're asking, like, what did you do or what did you want? Like they went somewhere, Eve went somewhere with the, the going after the fruit to deal with a sense of like this relationship with God this this awareness of my need yeah. is something I don't like. Yeah. And one person said that the choice to eat the fruit was a decision for radical autonomy. And I'm I'm saying it's radical autonomy from self, from God, and from others. Yeah. Because really the word death, as you know, in the Hebrew is separation. Yeah. So when God says when you eat it, you're going to be separated. And we know that's separated from the internal. Yeah, separated right. from the ex, like death is more multifaceted than just my soul will leave my body one day. We are barking up the same tree, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun to, to yeah. see how our books probably will really complement each other. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I I remember back in the day, I, my first book was called "Leaving Egypt, Finding God in the Wilderness Places." It was the Exodus story, you know, and as a journey, the journey we go on. And there was someone else writing a similar book, and it was like great. Um, yes. You know, more recently, the narcissism book comes out and, and um, Diane Langberg's got a book and, and Scott McKnight and his daughter, Laura and Wade Mullen. And it's like, great. You know, Please. I mean, I, yes, we need more. You know, <laughs> um, I mean, I and, and it's not um, I, I think it's God smiles like, oh, yeah, of course, I, I kind of designed it this way. I mean, um, people are going to hear in different ways. And yes. so it's it's encouraging. It's exciting. Um, yeah. and, and I think in particular, the communities that you've been in and the impact that you've had over the years, um, and I've sort of observed you from afar, you know, and the communities, uh, that you, your unique voice and your capacity, we were talking for the listeners beforehand about the need for elders, and both you and I in our early 50s are beginning to feel a little bit of that sense of transition. I just lost my mom. You, you begin to think about, like, Mm. With the loss of a parent, um, how that shifts things within a family, you know, but the need for elders um, and and for, um, I think, women and men who are, are I, I, I hear those questions, where are you, who told you, et cetera, as modeling a kind of compassionate curiosity that we can offer one another, you know, that God offers us and we can offer one another, right? So, yes, yeah. Well, it's interesting because those questions are the work I do when I, I'm meeting with several leaders and pastors now and in a one-on-one context. And we start every time together with, we call we called it a, a check-in and we just say, where are you basically? And we show up with our feelings and um, as a way to, to be present with ourselves and each other. And we both do it. Like I do it as well. So there's a sense of attunement that can happen that, hey, I see you, you see me. We're both human. Yeah. We both are present. Now can we be present in this moment with each other? And yeah. And then, of course, the other questions are there, like, who told you is really a way of doing story work. Like, yeah. you learned a narrative about this, and let's yeah. let's talk about that. And yeah. um, and where did you go because of that? You know, what did you do? Um, why did you take the fruit? Like, all that. It's all in there. It's beautiful because how, how did we not, at least for me, how did I never see this before? It's like, sometimes I think we, we until we become needy for it, we don't have the capacity to see it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I, I think uh, probably you're doing this work right now. I know in my work, we're doing this because people are pretty hungry right now. I think there are a lot yes. of pastors in particular, people in churches asking these kinds of questions, wondering what to do. Unsure. Mm. Of, I, I mean, as, as you said, what do I do? What do I do with my emotions? And I, I mean, I always love to redirect people to the Psalms to say, you know, David puts words to his, his thoughts, his emotions, his bodily sensations, his relationships, all these, all these things that we need to pay attention to if we're going to be whole. And, and the reality is, I think what I see a lot is, is, uh, are, are people who've ignored, uh, these conversations, um, the, the, the inner conversation, right. But in large part, because in ministry, we're often just so busy. We yeah. don't have time to stop. And, 
And that's always the fear is like, but but uh, I do these five day intensives and I, I know you've benefited from that kind of work too. Mm-hmm. Uh, five days, you know, oftentimes at the very end, a pastor will say to me, I'm really afraid I'm going to reenter and get busy again and mm-hmm. not have the spaciousness to be able to say, so what am I feeling today? What's going on in my body? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it, that's one of the reasons why I, 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 I did that kind of work. And then I'm now I have every other week. I'm meeting in a process group just to keep being present, to keep being aware. And then the guys that I meet with, it's at least twice a month. Some of them do weekly just because the, the, the need to be reminded that you're human Mm -hmm. and that there is this need to slow down and be present. It's Mm -hmm. in ministry. It's so dangerous, man, because you, you're giving yourself away. And I want to say it that way. You are giving yourself away, meaning you don't have yourself anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's the danger as you're, The language that was used to me is, Jeff, you're like a vending machine, man. Like you just, you don't keep anything for yourself. Wow. Wow. And therefore I couldn't even be with myself. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm curious, when you discovered you were a vending machine, I know that there have been a number of of crucial things that have happened in your life that have have amounted to some some, um, humiliation, overwhelm, crisis of sorts. But Everything you just said. Yeah. (laughs) Now I'm interviewing you for the podcast. Like for the guy who's like, I'm a vending machine too. Like, what did you do with that? What happened? Well, one was I needed to be with somebody who could keep being on the other side of me, tell the truth with me, confront Mm me, and even encourage me to, to let some things be mine. Like he, in fact, as I was going through my work, he said, Jeff, you don't get to teach on this. Because here's the challenge for most pastors, like they're consuming to deliver on a weekly basis. So in sense, they're they're telling themselves, none of this can ever be for you. It's always for somebody else. And so he said, I'm going to ask you to start making some things only for you. You don't get to go tell people about it. You don't get to teach on it. You don't get to write a blog on it. And I remember one of the meetings we had, he sat with me, he said, hey, I want to is it okay if I confront you? And he don't, anytime that would happen, he'd go, you didn't do anything wrong. It's just something that you've been doing for a long time. Yeah. I said, I read this blog post that you wrote. It mm. was really good. You're really understanding this concept really well. In fact, the way you communicate it was so helpful. Yeah. And yet I asked you not to give it away. Let it be your own. And I felt the shame in that moment. And I felt the fear, you know, all those things. Then he helped me process that. He said, he said, no, you didn't do anything wrong. Uh, Those are appropriate feelings to have, but let's talk about that. And so we got to talk about like this inability to let something be mine long enough until it's, it's truly blessed me, which sounds so like counterintuitive to what we teach all the time, but it's like, Jesus spent 30 years before he spent three years in ministry, right? There was something about becoming the kind of man that then when he went away to be alone could bring a healthy person to everybody else. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it's, it's fascinating to me too. And I wonder, I wonder what you'd, um, how you've processed this. Like I think he begins his public ministry, uh, with, with this first beatitude, blessed are the Patokas, you know, blessed yes. are those at the very end of themselves, you know, and by, by the way, that's where AA starts too, you know, but yes, for you, blessed are the powerless, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who've come to the end of themselves. And, and it's, it's fascinating to me that like, um, and I, now as a seminary educator, I'm like, boy, we're building you up. We're propping you up. We're not in a sense, uh, we're giving you everything so that you can avoid being broken. I hope we're not doing that because I think we uh, do a really good job here. But like, but but maybe, and of course, you know, the young disciples, I'm sure didn't get it. It went straight over their heads. Like the, you know, um, they were looking, they were looking, the good, the good Pharisees and zealots among them were looking for, you know, a conqueror, I'm sure. But yeah, blessed are you when you come to the end of yourselves. Blessed are you when you mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty. Like, I, I feel like in my life, I'm just beginning to scrape the surface of like, it's okay. When mm. people come to me, it, one of the big questions that um, I invite people to ask is, how do you experience me? And it's fine to write that in a book or say it on a podcast. But two weeks ago, someone sat right across the way from me on my couch um, after they made an appointment to say, I, I want to give you some feedback about how I experience you. And I thought, oh, 
crap. Can I say crap on this podcast? You can, no. you can, you whatever, sure can. Whatever I said, I, it may have been worse than that. But <laughs> like, oh, this is going to be in a really uncomfortable hour. And hmm. I suspect that she sees some things that um, are going to be echoes of things I've heard before. And they're coming up again. And I need to take seriously. And lo and behold, they were. Hmm. We all need that, don't we? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. People who reflect back to us what they're seeing, what they're feeling, what they're experiencing. And I think that one of the things that I learned from Diane Langberg, uh, who's just brilliant. I don't know if you've been exposed to her writings or yes. I, I think going back even 20 years ago when I was in the PCA, a complementarian denomination, you know, Diane was would be the only woman that they they would invite to speak, you know. And, and, um, <laughs> And you'd, you'd feel beat up at the end of her talk, but you'd feel like, but she really loves me. Like, I feel like mom loves me and she just told me the truth, you know? Yes. But I remember her saying, the higher you climb, the more anxious you'll become in leadership, right? And the more anxious you, you become, the more insulated you become, the more apt you are to avoid that conversation with another who says to you, hey, Jeff, can I tell you how I experience you? And so I'd say for those who are listening, who are veteran leaders who've maybe climb some of those ladders, gotten to the point of senior leadership. Um, how, how have you become more insulated in some ways? And, and sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, because we're hurt in ministry and, and because COVID was really, really hard and because everything that's happened within our culture has um, left us with wounds, um, we have become a bit more insulated. So and some of what we're talking about is how do we move toward vulnerability? Yeah. Um vulnerability and the core, the, the root word there is vulnere, which is to be wounded, um, mm. capacity mm. to be wounded or vulnerere or something like that. I, I'm not sure if I'm getting that right, but can we become women and men who move into our worlds, move into our ministries, knowing that we will be wounded, we will be hurt, we will be broken, we will mm. fail, we will be disappointed, we will be misunderstood, we will be humiliated. Um, and that's precisely where God meets us and how we mature. Um, yeah. you, I don't, I'm convinced you can't mature without that. Mm, wow. I start my book with the, the first question is, are you okay being weak and in oh, need? Yeah, yeah. And then go to the Apostle Paul boasting in his weakness because it's in that that the power of Christ is made perfect in him. Yeah. And. We just, we think spiritual maturity is to have no weakness and to, to not be in need. And yet Paul says just the opposite. And so does Jesus, as you already said, yeah. in the, his yeah. very first sermon. So, yeah. man, there's so much more I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> hey, here's the question. Would you join me again of on a course. podcast? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Because I have like five more questions here that I want to ask, but I'm going to hold off because I yeah, want to save them for another time. Yeah, of course. Um, Chuck, um, thank you so much. Um, I'm curious if people wanted to get in touch with you. Uh, you know, Chuck's written several books. I was going to mention several of them. One of them for me, which I'd love to talk about maybe the next time we're together, is When Narcissism Comes to Church. Yeah. And um, with my own journey and story, that that book is still a book I regularly open up and look at. Same with Diane Landberg's stuff. So, um, And you already said it, Scott McKnight, you know, so... All three of those works have been really helpful for me. Uh, but how could people uh, get in touch with you, find yeah. out more about what you do? Yeah. So um, I'm at chuckdegroat.net, uh, D-E-G-R-O-A-T. I teach out at Western Theological Seminary in um, Holland. I live in Grand Rapids. So if you're ever out in GR Jerusalem, um, <laughs> like when you come, back, come, come say hi. Um, and uh yeah, I've I've written a few books. That last one being autobiographical. So um, <laughs> when mm. North comes to church, um, I think a lot of us are are dealing with the the larger reckoning, but also dealing with ourselves. And uh, uh, you know, in large part, we 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 could have a more focused conversation on that book, but we, we've already talked about a lot of that stuff today. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you again. I said at the beginning, super grateful for you. I think you're one of the voices that we need to be listening to right now in this present moment. I know you're still learning a lot, but thank you for what you have shared. It's been yeah, super man. helpful. Yeah. Thank you too for your work, for your ministry, but more so for who you are. Thank you, Chuck. 
wow, that was such good stuff. Oh, man. So thankful that Chuck could join us. Um, and I, I want to encourage you. Uh, there's so much more you can learn from him. Uh, I encourage you to check out his, his books. Uh, reach out to him. I know their Soul Care Institute is a really, really helpful resource to ch- tap into. And if you have any questions at all that you have for us, feel free to reach out at hello at saturatetheworld.com. Uh, we would love to either help you with what we have or direct you to people that have um, resources that we don't. And it's actually one of my desires in this podcast is to keep exposing you to more and more people uh, that could be a great help to you. If our commitment is to collaborate together in cities, I sure hope that we also do that through things like this podcast. So I hope you're blessed by that. Also, if you would like to ask us more of the content that we have, we've got literally hundreds of videos and training sessions and PDFs available at saturatetheworld.com through our membership. And we'd love to give you a two-week free trial. Uh, Just use the coupon if you decide to sign up. Uh, and the coupon is podcast 2023, all lowercase level uh, letters, no spaces. So podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-2023, podcast 2023. I uh, would love to make that available for you. Um, and then lastly, if you'd love to be a partner with us, we uh, appreciate ongoing prayer. The work we're doing cannot be done apart from, as we've already said, uh, collaboration around prayer. So if you would love to collaborate with us, to pray for our work. I send out every week or two uh, a text giving updates to what we're doing and how you can pray for us. If that's something you'd like to be included on, just send us an email at hello at saturatetheworld.com. And then also all the work we do is funded by donors. If you would like to be a donor, you can go to saturatetheworld.com forward slash give to contribute. We would appreciate anything you're able to give. Thanks again for being with us. I look forward to our next time together.